Blurred Up, Blurred Up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. We are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. And another reminder that we are partnered with Blurred.com. We are featured there and they have ever-growing content about video games, comics, anime, pretty much everything nerdy, but through a black cultural lens and they've helped get us on to spotify and apple podcasts so please listen to us there and be sure to give us a review that would really help support us in keeping our name and shows at the top when people search these kinds of things out my name is brendan and i'm here with mel who is quickly chewing my delicious cookie so i can talk on the mic hello take your time yep hi podcast fuel yeah exactly Today we're going to talk about It Chapter 2. Right. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're going to get down to finally addressing Dave Chappelle's Six and Stones special. We actually uh, recorded a special uh, last week. Mm-hmm. But you it got, can call it that. <laughs> it got a bit got a bit heated, so we're going to mm-hmm. try it, try it, try again. You're going to try again. I'm going to listen. <laughs> Okay. So, it chapter two. Welcome to Derry, where all the main characters have a death wish, including the villain. Did you like the first one? The first two thousand seventeen. Uh, okay, so the yeah the first half of this version of it it was okay. It wasn't amazing, but it was okay. I think this part was better. Yeah, I I didn't love the first it. I enjoyed the interaction with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. It was a nice coming of age story mm-hmm. with the killer clown and unnecessarily brutal bullies. I think it's like a Stephen King trope. Or it something is, like that. yeah, it's a Stephen King uh, hallmark. Yeah, the kids. I think they really had wonderful chemistry. My main issue was that Pennywise was inconsistent about when he killed people. You know, like he he likes to scare people. Mm-hmm. The fear is like seasoning for him. But if it's anyone but the main character, he eats them like any other white man, bland as fuck. He will kill your ass in a hurry. You know, poor Georgie didn't have a chance. Not at all. The teases in the first movie dragged out the running time, and I kind of was starting to get bored um, when I watched it the second time, for sure. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I was saying to you just before we went live that I I have a hard time figuring out how I feel about this version of it simply because I re- I've read that book probably five times. Mm-hmm. I don't like it so much anymore, but and there was a point in like my late teens where that book was really important to me, really talismanic. So I know the book really well. So I was kind of seeing the movie to see moments from the book. And I'm not sure what's what's a spoiler and what's not. It's a little confusing. So, yeah, I mean, for that reason, it's kind of hard for me to judge the film. I think if I had just seen it by itself without any reference point, I would have hated it. It just would seem, like you said, inconsistent and unnecessarily violent and with some really problematic moments that are never really explained in the film, Mm. but are really fleshed out in the book and even then are still pretty problematic. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was curious about this new film because 
with all successful sequels, there's a bigger budget usually, and anything will be better than the original version. Mm-hmm. If fans remember the budget for that adult part in particular was smaller for that portion of the story. Right, yeah, for the TV movie. With mm-hmm. uh, with Tim Curry. Yeah. They, the best thing about that movie was the characters, like the actors, rather. Yeah. And uh, and Tim Curry. Well, yeah, well, he Curry. was one of the actors, yeah. Right, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so Tim Curry, and also I think that out of the three versions, and by that I mean the book, this new two-parter that we were reviewing today, and the TV movie, I think the TV movie had the best ending. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, this time... We have some great actors for this movie. All-star cast, James McAvoy, Professor X himself, Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, Isaiah Mustafa. He was really good. Yeah. James Ranson, Jay Ryan, and Andy Bean, who play the adult versions of The Losers. So first of all, I, I have to say the casting was perfect to me. There's a Have you seen that BuzzFeed article? And it has the adults side by side with some of the of the kids, yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't look, seen the article, but I've seen similar ones. Yeah, yeah, they they look um, amazingly like their child counterparts. Mm-hmm. The ones that stood out the most to me were Eddie, mm-hmm. uh, Richie, Stanley, and Mike. Yeah, they did a really good job with the guy with the both actors who played Eddie. I was never that crazy about Eddie in any of the other versions, mm-hmm. but Eddie in this version of the movie is easily my favorite character. He was really cool. Mm-hmm. But. It, it isn't just the look, right? Like they, it felt like they really studied the mannerisms of the children and brought them to life as adults. Some of them did a better job of actually kind of transcending and making the character their own, though. Jessica Chastain, McAvoy, and I think Mustafa stood out the most in that way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But there's something else I want to talk about, particularly with Mustafa, that I think we can get into a bit later. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I got something as a black person, I got something to say about, ha- well, about Mike. Remember how I said that book is really talismanic for me? The character of Mike Hanlon's one of the reasons. And okay. I'll talk about that more later. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Chastain and McAvoy stood out, but maybe because two of them are the biggest stars in this movie, they were given more to do. Like Ben, mm-hmm. the adult version of Ben really didn't have a lot to do in this movie. Yeah. I liked him, but mm-hmm. he just didn't have as much to do. Yeah. From what I understand, Mike is a more important character in the books. Yeah, and this, <laughs> to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and this adaptation is trying to be, from what I understand, more faithful to that. Yes? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, maybe they are trying to be more faithful more, to it. More but than the past. Oh, more than the TV adaptation? No, yeah. the TV adaptation is much more faithful, I think. Really? Yeah, to, okay. the, to the original spirit of the character of Mike Hanlon. Okay, yeah, definitely. well then, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, this version, they did my boy Mike wrong, I think. They really did. That was something I didn't like in either half of this this version of it. Okay. Yeah, he's he's been in Derry while everyone left to pursue various successful careers. Richie mm-hmm. is still just the Joker. But he does have a side story that was surprising for me. Mm-hmm. Was that in the book? No. Okay. Well, he had a side story, but that wasn't it. That wasn't it, okay. That that was actually one of the things, one of the ways I think they did him wrong. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Eddie is still the scared, you know, hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. Pennywise, played by Bill Skarsgård, has more to do than ever. The director and writers really gave him a lot of lot of time and a lot of space to just be, be wild. And there are just so many set pieces that it's hard to remember them all, actually. True. Yeah, well, 
again, but actually that's a little bit more faithful to the book and that the fact that there's just so much stuff going on, it's hard to track it because the the book was notorious for having 8,000 subplots. <laughs> so, oh, okay. yeah. It's, I mean, it's a 1,500-page book. Okay. So, yeah. Pennywise was a lot scarier in this half. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the movie starts off really scary. Mm-hmm. However, it does start off with a hate crime towards a gay couple. <sighs> yeah. So, so a trigger warning for those who may be uncomfortable with that kind of violence. Mm-hmm. I found it unnecessarily cruel. Mm-hmm. Similar to how the bullies carved words into Ben's stomach in the first movie, mm-hmm. it was that in the book. Both of these are in the book, but they're uh, okay. So Ben getting his name carved in his stomach was actually really faithful to the book. Mm-hmm. But the way that this hate crime happens, and who sees it, and the way that it, because the the hate crime is literally the very first scene of the book. It's before you know anything about the town. It's before you know anything about it. And it's your introduction to how horrifying that town is and how how willing people are to look the other way. Mm. And it's also your first introduction to Mike Hanlon. Okay. It was weird that this was even in the film because they they included all the brutality, but none of the reasons for showing it. And to be fair, there's a lot of people who complain that it's... Prob- uh, Stephen King, bless his heart, even though he is not scared to write about people who are different than him as a white author he's not scared to write about lgbtq characters he's not scared of writing about people of color Mm -hmm. he he doesn't always do it well he certainly does it i think with an attempt to be loving but not always well so he tends to write very problematic unnecessarily cruel depictions of violence toward gay people a lot and he loves his slurs and he also writes some of the most magical Negroes to ever shuck and jive and spit watermelon seeds, which is really, really something that he gets criticized a lot for. However, this book, in my opinion, is one of his few good and really touching portrayals of a black person, which is why I'm not crazy about the way that they adapted it for the film. But we'll get there. Okay. Um, you're, you're really trying to get there. I'm a, I am. I am. I am. Sorry. I'm going to do my best for you. Okay. No, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't, I don't want to just bring it up now. I, you no, might, no, I know no, you got, no, we got other stuff. No, but, of course. Yeah. Uh, but so because of that, though, I think in the book, for the time when the book was written, this wasn't, this was shocking and horrifying but it wasn't necessarily problematic yet. But now looking at it, that scene should have been rewritten. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, let's just kind of run through the plot and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to our, our main thoughts, our final sure. thoughts. Mm-hmm. So as you all know, the cast reassembles in Derry. And I think they have good chemistry, great chemistry. Really good. It was just like old times, really. I really thought this was going to be a great movie. Uh, I didn't realize that that was just a, first what, 45 minutes in a nearly three hour movie right yeah we got to yeah. talk about this length yeah you really feel this length yeah because it's over six hours a movie isn't it when you're all when you count both of them right which is way too i mean given the source material but still it's way too much they could have cut it down yes once once the gang actually commits to stopping pennywise once and for all the movie cuts out nearly an hour for the group to split up unnecessarily to find items to help defeat him. It felt like like the fetch quest part of a game, mm-hmm. of a video game that was poorly written. Right. Like you're you're almost there, but first go all the way around this place, this place, this place, and that place. Along the way, at they're fetching these items, we're treated to 
flashbacks for the past and just them being scared as adults. Mm -hmm. And for me, while the visuals were great and truly offered some nice scares, it added very little to the story for me. Mm. So for me, that's where the movie started to go downhill. Yeah, I I agree. It went up the first 45 minutes I was enraptured I was like this is the movie that they should have made about this from this book at the beginning it was great watching the cast get together you really do get the sense that they're all old friends meeting up and like getting to know each other the cast both versions of the cast young and old have great chemistry but then it starts to diverge and they introduce like they lampshade a lot that they're going to change the ending because Maybe we'll get here too, but the ending of the book is terrible. I told you what it is, and yeah. you were horrified. Yeah, imagine me reading this for the first time when I'm 12, right? Ooh. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll there. Yeah, um, but so they lampshade a lot that they're going to change the ending, and mm-hmm. then they so they telegraph that from the very beginning with kind of jokes about you know because uh, Bill is kind of an XP of Stephen King. This is James McAvoy. Yeah, James McAvoy's character mm-hmm. uh, is an XP of Stephen King. So they're kind of lampshading how the endings of his books suck, and you've got to change it for the movie. And they're telegraphing the ending's going to change. And then when you see how they're changing it, it is pretty lame, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's even lamer for a reason we'll talk about in the spoiler section. But it, it started out so good. I thought it was better than part one simply because of the first 45 minutes. But it just didn't hold it didn't hold the momentum that it gained. And here's where I need to call out my man, Mike, for a few things. Hmm. I don't know if your, your problem's going to be the same as mine. He's he's fucking up the smart black person in scary movie stereotype. He is certainly not. Was it Chris the NSA man? What was his name from Get Out? The uh, oh, uh, I forgot oh, his name. Yeah, was uh, it Chris or, or was Chris the main character? I forgot. I forgot. No, Chris is the main character. I forgot his name too. Anyway, yeah, but I know he. he, he the yes, whoever he is, he mm-hmm. ain't him. Yeah, Mike lives in the library where it made his first scare on Ben. It's an abandoned. I mean, is it abandoned at this point? It's not supposed to be. I couldn't figure that out. Again, like no one, this is where no yeah. one mm-hmm. ever went in that library. It yeah, felt like it was abandoned. Was he actually living in the library? It was, or like, was it like a different was, place. No, it was mm-hmm. like above the light, like in the attic almost. Yeah, which was weird. So libraries are already terrifying in the dark, mm-hmm. but you live there knowing that a telepathic, teleporting, and shape shifting demon lives in the area. And is surely pissed off at you. Like, who wrote that for that character? Then, when it's time to find these items I already talked about, it's him who suggests that they split up. The black man says that. Richie's like, we beat it up together, so we should stay together to be safe, right? My man's like, nah, player. We gotta do this solo. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And that idea never justified itself in the movie ever. And the mm-hmm. characters paid for it. And the audience paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Oh, okay. So is this where I talk about the differences between book mic and movie mic? Or Go ahead. should I? Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, as long as I, I mean, do you want to save it for spoilers? All of it? Or, uh, or do you want to dance on, on what I said first? Or I'll save it for later. Okay. Because I think I need to get into spoilers to really break down how disappointed I was by okay. adult movie mic and by movie mic in general. Yeah. Um, but Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't happy with him either. There was a twist at the end, too, that really pissed me off about it. About right, him. yeah. He really wasted everyone's time. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's another thing. We'll get there. We'll okay. talk about it. So, back to the hour of bloat in this movie. It's similar to Avengers Endgame, where they had to collect the stones to 
in order to reverse what Thanos did, mm-hmm. they, had, they had to collect these things to, to beat Pennywise. Right. However, there's so much going along the way with Endgame, like Black Widow sacrificed herself for the Soul Stone. We saw different aspects of old scenes in the MCU, like America's Ass. Mm-hmm. It added to the story. And it was, right. just, it was just fun to be with them. Right. There were real character moments that I really enjoyed. Definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. And then it kind of did a similar plot thing, but they messed it up writing-wise because it, they just used it as an opportunity for Pennywise to jump up right. and scare them really badly and have them in a place where he could kill them and eat them, but he doesn't for because he really wants to marinate his meat. Although he's just, like you said, he's just eating everybody else up like raisinettes. But, you know, these guys, he's just sort of like, let, let, let me scare you. Let me scare you some more. Let me get you to the point where I could eat your face and not eat your face because I just don't want to right now. Like, come on. Are you on a diet, Pennywise? What's going on here? Like I said earlier in the review, everyone has a death wish, including Pennywise. Like, this hour just really illustrates how dumb these people are and how dumb Pennywise is, yeah. too. Like, for the humans, they're going to places that any sane person would not go if they knew that, again, I reiterate, a telepathic, teleporting, and shape-shifting demon mm-hmm. exist. Like, would you hide in a school locker if you knew something like that existed and was chasing you? Right, and this is another huge uh, difference between between the book and the movie. I don't watch a lot of horror movies, okay. but as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, these are like the archetypal dumb white people in a horror movie who are just like doing all the worst possible things you could do if a monster is chasing you. Whereas in the book, one thing that's striking about the book is how smart the decisions that all of the characters make, even when they're children, when they're created by horror, that's what kind of saves their lives in the end. Mm-hmm. That they're all, there's a there's points, there's a section of the book where it shows how they've all encountered it on their own before they even meet each other. Oh, okay. But they're all kind, they're all different kinds of kids, you know, they're all nerds, they're all weird, they're all kind of children of the difference, children of the secret in some way, which I'll explain um, later, but they they're all they're all smart enough because of their life circumstances to not get eaten but you don't get any of that in the movie no you they're don't. all kind of dumb and you don't know why they're not getting eaten yeah i i mentioned before that i couldn't remember how many scare scenes there are in this movie because mm-hmm. there really were a lot of them and after a while i just felt fatigue this is like the john wick 3 of horror films have you have you seen john wick 3 i haven't seen that yet no nearly all of these scares isolated if you did, you know, a short film or bonus f- features, honestly, I didn't say this before, but it felt like the flashbacks to the kids getting scared felt like bonus features that were that should have been included on the the first movie Blu-ray instead of yeah. being in this movie. Yeah, which was interesting because I kind of wonder if that's how they were shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm gonna go back. This is this is like I said, this is like the John Wick three of horror films. And I know you hadn't, you haven't seen it yet, but mm-hmm. it's like in John Wick Three, the kills are great, the choreography is fantastic, but after a while, on the one hundredth, seventy ninth headshot that John Wick is putting through people, and you're seeing that he's not going to get hit ever, mm. even if he does get hit, it won't slow him down or really, really seriously affect him. Mm. You just get fatigued. You just kind of get you numb to the violence. And with Pennywise, as you were talking about, he's just scaring the kids. But after a while, you just realize, yeah, he's just going to let him go anyway. Mm-hmm. So who cares? Again, in a locker, let yeah. this person go. Right. It was 
it just got ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. So, and it kind of makes you unsure what Pennywise's true goals are. And especially at the end of the movie, you're kind of unsure about the limits and nature of his powers as well. He Sometimes he seems like amazingly powerful. Like you can't beat this person. Mm-hmm. Like you need to call, you really have to call in the, the Avengers to beat this person yeah, or the exactly. X-Men or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to become them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But other times he just feels like nothing. Right, he's just some guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not even that. Yeah, it, it is an interesting sort of, it's just not very well written in terms no. of setting people's limits and levels especially pennywise because he's pennywise is he even calls himself the eater of worlds and yeah he doesn't really seem like the that devourer of worlds yeah 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 which tim curry yeah. executed a lot better definitely in the book fun trivia point pennywise was basically like an evil world-eating alien but none of the other aliens liked him so he was an exile so that's how he wound up on earth wow yeah which I mean, you can see, like he because he's stupid, yeah. right? Exactly. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you, as a telepath, you literally know every these people are plotting to kill you, mm-hmm. and you're letting them do it, and you well, don't do anything. Okay, so uh, go ahead. It's just, I'm not sure he's a telepath exactly. I think maybe it seems like that in the film, but I don't think he's meant to be. I think he's only able to sense somebody's fear. But he's not supposed to be able to read the rest of their minds, I don't think. But maybe it does come across that way in the movie. It does feel that way to me. Mm-hmm. Like he reads what they want. You right. know, he appears to them as certain people or mm-hmm. certain things, and then it mm-hmm. flips on them. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think the initial concept is that he's only supposed to be able to read people's deepest fears. Okay. Yeah, and use that against them. Okay. But the movie was sloppy. You don't get that. You don't get the limitation on it. That's kind of my point. True. Mm-hmm. And the ending, you already mentioned that you kind of had issues with the ending. I did too. It it yeah. felt to me kind of a fizzle instead yeah. of a bang. Yeah. I was pretty disappointed. But I felt that way about the first part too. Like they really, huh, that part of the movie, the ending should be the scariest part. It should be the part that really, where the stakes are the highest. Right. And where you really aren't sure who's going to walk out of this alive. Right. But in both films, you know they're all going to survive. Almost. Uh and you know that the stakes aren't very high because everything that's happened before that, all of the setup is way scarier than the actual reality of confronting the final monster. So, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the ending. You know, we've been talking about Avengers Endgame, but it kind of feels like the earlier Marvel films, like, you know, in Iron Man, mm-hmm. the first Iron Man film, he went to Afghanistan and, like, that was the best action scene of the movie. And then he just fights kind of bigger Iron Man at the end. It was kind of lackluster. <laughs> Right. They, mm-hmm. they, they kind of like blew their wide mm-hmm. too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think the performances in this film are really good, but I the story, the writing is where is the weak point. The writing is the part that is, is where it, it falls down. Yeah. I I can't point to any genuine scene that was bad, except for, you know, this demon just not killing people who are trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. I just, again, hard for me to separate out my nostalgia regarding the book and the actual film. There were scenes in this film I really appreciated because they were callbacks to the book and they were things I really wanted to see from the book and I liked that. But overall, just I think if I had just seen this as a film without having the reference point of the previous movie and the book, uh, I would have hated this movie. 
it would have been really boring to me. And I don't like horror for horror's sake a lot of times, so I wasn't into this at all. So you don't recommend it? Uh, if you read the book and love the book, see it because there's scenes that you'll love. Okay. There are definitely some scenes and some changes that I think you'll really love because they redeem some things about the book that were not good. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you have... If you don't have any particular attachment to the idea of the story, to the story, if you didn't watch the first one, I don't know if you'll like it. Yeah. I don't think I would have. I agree. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. Did you like it? Like I said, there were some good scares here. Mm -hmm. But I'm like you. I really enjoy horror with more depth. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I love the the film Alien and Aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. But the scares in that movie really meant something when they happened. Or in Jaws. Mm. This just felt really, really gratuitous. So if you're a fan of that stuff, if you can, if you, that, if you don't mind that, that kind of gratuitous mm. scares with mm-hmm. little depth, then, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I guess I think you'll like it. Yeah, I mean, it attempted the depth, but it missed it. I think the way the filmmakers did this, they expected you to bring the depth with you, which is mm. never a good way to write a movie, in my True. opinion. So... This film brought in $91 million domestically and $94 million internationally this really? past weekend. Yeah. Wow. For a $185 million opening weekend. That's a surprise. I'm surprised it made that much. Yeah. But it did not make as much domestically as the first film, but it's still the second best opening for a horror movie in history. Not adjusting for inflation. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Maybe it's the strength of the cast and just the strength of the story. I mean, it is a really good story. Yeah. But not the way they tell it in the movie. (laughs) Wow. Interesting. Huh. I will say I'm a chicken. I'm a huge chicken. I went to go see this. Yeah. Hey, look, I I proudly accept the the war cry of my people. Um, I went to go see this at 845 in the morning uh, because I was not going to be caught out late at night, even anywhere close to dusk after having seen Pennywise. And I probably could have seen this at midnight and been fine. So, yeah. Let me get to the quick spoilers real quick. Yes. So, again, count three. One, two, three. Here we go. Okay. Fire it off. Yes. All right. So should I talk about the reason I'm not crazy about Mike Hamlin? Please. Okay. So I mean, this is blurred up. So let's, let's yes, talk, talk about okay. the, the black now, character. One of the things that I love about the... Okay. So how do I frame this? Let me start this way. The book It meant a lot to me in my teens. Mm-hmm. Okay. I reread it about a year ago and I didn't love it as much. It's actually way too long and it's brutal in ways that it doesn't necessarily need to be and the ending oh my god the ending is is awful talk about it uh i'll get there maybe i don't know if i want to talk about it it's not super relevant here but okay yeah the ending is awful but that book meant a lot to me Mm -hmm. because that book there's something really sweet about the nostalgia of that book all of these kids the reason that they're friends they call themselves the losers club they've all got problems in their life bill's brother died and he has a stutter Richie's got horrible thick glasses. A lot of them have family problems or they're just really different people living in this small, extremely white town in Maine in the case of Stan and Mike. Now, Mike is interesting to me because I read this. So I was a huge Stephen King fan as a kid. I read this book after I read The Stand and The Stand, if you've read it, has Mother Abigail, who is basically the most magical Negro in the universe. 
literally and that's her whole point in that book you know she's got like this strange transliterated country accent and, and her whole purpose in the book is to be a magical old black lady it's awful um even at that time when I didn't have the taste that I have now or the filters that I have now I thought that her character was kind of awful however uh, so much so that I actually recasted other characters in that book in my head to be black to make up for her incredible lack right but then I read it and the way that it is written is interesting to me because Mike is one of the main viewpoint characters. Large portions of the book are actually his journals because Mike is the head librarian in Derry as an adult. And he's also an amateur historian. So he's writing a history of Derry and a history of the violence in Derry because he encountered it as a child. Mm. And simultaneously, you're doing these flashbacks and you're going back to see how these kids all came to be friends and how they all encountered it and you get all these stories of how you know why they were all bullied but the way that mike is written he's very smart you know he's the head librarian you know he's the historian you know he's got a deep ancestral connection to the to the town he's the only one of the losers club who has an okay family like his actually he's got a really loving and supportive family which is why i don't like that crack house uh that whole crack house like storyline there. Oh, I know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's the only one who has a really truly supportive, loving, working class, regular people family. His folks are farmers. He works on the farm. He plays trumpet at church. He's just a really good kid. And you're not really sure why he's being bullied the same way that all these other kids are. Because you know that Ben is overweight and nerdy and new to town. You know that Beverly is a is a tomboy who comes from a really messy home where her father may or may not be molesting her. You know, I mean, there's all of these kind of awful things going on with all these other kids. You can see why they're outcasts, but you're never really sure about Mike until about halfway through the book. You realize he's black. To me, now, I don't know that I'd appreciate that now, but as a young blurred, reading a lot of books, a lot of speculative fiction, a lot of Stephen King, uh, trying to find representation in the written word and kind of being annoyed at how if a black character was written with a racial angle, that was literally all they were about. Mike was really a revelation to me because his whole character is built up before it's really about race. So you realize that he's an entire person before they bring in the fact that he's being bullied for racial reasons, Mm. right? Now, Mike is also the smartest kid in the Losers Club. Without a doubt, right? Uh, ben is also very smart. He's the, he becomes an architect. He builds all these things. Mm-hmm. But Mike is the one who's got the books. Mike is the one who brings in uh, all of the history. He's the one who stayed behind. And the other interesting point about Mike, which, again, as a young blurred and a rapidly aging blurred now, I think is a really good point. Um, I think Mike kind of shows what happens sometimes if you are a <laughs> young black kid who hangs around, we- if you're a, a young, weird black kid who hangs around weird white kids, is that for the white kids, their weirdness can become profitable for them. Ooh. It doesn't necessarily do that for you. Ooh. Yeah, and that was, I, I don't know that necessarily Stephen King had that insight, but it comes, but that's that's one of the most, one, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I reread the book last year, because all of the other losers are weird. They take the reason they're weird, Richie and his trashy mouth, Ben and his predilection for building something out of everything. All of them, they take those weird things about them and then they go and become millionaires they're all really rich they're all really successful and mike stays in his little town becomes a librarian and he 
doesn't make more than like you know he's he makes bare lower middle class wage wow yeah but he's the smartest one he's the one with all the history knowledge he's the one who comes from the best family yeah right (laughs) yeah right so for me i loved the character of mike hanlon in it um not to say that it's a perfect character but I love the way that King wrote him and the nuance and just how relatable he was. He is as a black character written by a white author who has a track record of writing terrible black characters. So then we come to the movie and Mike is like weird and needy. And I don't, I wasn't crazy about the whole, well, I found out about it from the Indians. What Indian? Really? The magic. Okay. Yeah. Either magical Negroes or magical Indians. I mean, like, come on, you don't need either of those things to make a story good. Um, I gotta say, yeah. if you know that a teleporting, shape-shifting, <laughs> possibly telepathic demon is in your town, <laughs> and you know a group of people who fought them mm-hmm. and are willingly out of his range, mm-hmm. why not just live there and then monitor from there? Right. Exactly. All of the so that yeah. that blew my mind. Exactly. Like, who the fuck wrote this character? Exactly. All of the inherent intelligence and resilience and just the sense of humanity that made up the character of Mike Hanlon is uh it it kind of disappears in this flood of but you guys I need friends I really need friends now I will say the old spice man did a great job in the role because I didn't know it was him until somebody told me (laughs) but (laughs) right 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 but I was just disappointed into how as in the way that they uh that they created this character. Also, in this character, Mike doesn't seem to have much of a connection to other blackness except for in negative ways. So like his he was raised by his grandfather who runs the slaughterhouse and his parents were crackheads who died in a fire. Ugh. In the book, that was a fire that he wasn't around for. His father survived a, a nightclub fire started by the KKK at a black nightclub that was near the town. Mm-hmm. Derry had a really old black population and basically his father was the only person who stuck around after that fire and bought the built a farm as kind of like a F you to the local racists. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, married a woman from his hometown and had their son there and all of that. But Mike also had a connection to other black people. There's a great scene in the book where Richie, who's kind of the coolest of the white kids, is like asking about music. And Mike goes into this long list of really famous black rock and roll artists, like from mm-hmm. the early, early days. Okay. And Richie's mystified, like, what are these? Who are these? Like, he's completely confused, you know? So all of those little details that made Mike a really interesting character, none of that was there. And they really did him wrong. I mean, they tried to keep everybody else more or less to, to keep the essential nature of who they were in the book. And I really appreciated that, even when there were major changes, like with Richie. And there were huge changes with Richie. Um, but they didn't do that at all with Mike. He was just sort of, he was turned into a magical Negro for the movie, and he wasn't for the book, which was annoying. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't even that magical, right? Yeah, he was kind of pretending to be magical, because he was like, go and find the tokens. And he's like, well, actually, I just wanted to see you guys again. Whatever. Ugh. Uh, that really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. You wasted everyone's time. Yeah, you almost got everybody killed. You actually did get some people killed. Right. And or, you know, like dangerously close to being eaten. But right. yeah, it was just a bad, it was bad writing. It was a bad plot point. Yeah. Yeah, for me, there's not much to spoil. Um, Richie being gay was interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't really do yeah, a I think, lot with yeah. it, but. Mm-hmm. 
it's something. And interestingly enough, I was talking to a friend about it last night who is gay, and he was like, I totally didn't get that Richie was gay. Like, they could have done something much more noticeable with that. Yeah. Like, he didn't even pick up the whole, like, scratching R and E on the thing. He It was way too... He used a term for it that I wasn't that I don't remember now, but it was basically he was saying it was just way too uh, undercover. It was like something you would have seen in like a 1950s movie. It was way too coded. Right. So they didn't need to do that. It's 2019. Right. So, yeah. But Bill Hader was brilliant as Richie. He was really good as Richie. And then when he got, you know, really dramatic at the end. Mm-hmm. I was really moved. I yeah. I was actually almost moved to right. t- to, mm-hmm. to tears a little bit. Yeah, I think Bill Hader's kind of slept on as a dramatic actor. Have you ever seen the Skeleton Twins? No. It's him and uh, who's the woman who was in Bridesmaids? Uh, the blonde woman, uh, Kristen Wiig. Sure. Yeah, they play twins, and it's actually oddly enough, he plays another gay character, but they play twins who've got. It's a dramatic. It's like a dramatic comedy okay but he really does a good job in that too and you think of bill Hader as like the funny impressions guy from snl but he's really got some some chops and i chops. was re- i really liked him yeah he was great anything else to say uh as far as spoilers i think i've talked enough i mean and i'm sure that i might get some flames because i'm sure that like from the perspective of 2019 mike hamlin doesn't seem that revolutionary but the, from the perspective of 19 mm-hmm when I was 12, um, <laughs> Mike Hanlon was a revelation. By the way, I know already I had no business reading that book when I was 12. Uh, if you're curious, ask me in the comments and I'll tell you the story of why I read that book when I was 12. Okay. All right. All right. Anyway. We're, we're getting short of time. So I want to go over to another scary thing going on. Mm. And that is the polarization of Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his new special. I haven't seen debates this fiery within just the liberal community since probably Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. Or, well, or well, Bernie versus Hillary. Star well, okay, I was going to say Star Wars The Last Jedi maybe, but Bernie versus Hillary I think is more apropos. Yeah, sure. Because the basis of all the debate on Dave is political, isn't it? Well, I think it's based on Last Jedi is is also political. Mm, you yeah, could okay. you could just not like something. Right, but yeah. if you don't like something, you're obviously a misogynist or a self-hating woman, or that's how that's how it mm. went. Interesting. Okay. Same Fair with Bernie enough. and yeah. Hillary too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so yeah, I I don't want to go through what I thought was wrong too much. I want to go past that and talk about comedy in a post-modern sense. So I, I want to first talk about how this show starts off. I think more than any other of his stand-ups, this to me was like a full art project with the other shows. He comes out to music on Killing Me Softly. He comes out to DMX. He's wearing whatever cool fashion of the day. But in contrast, this newest show starts off with lines from two rappers in a kind of a vaudeville font. First, we had Kendrick Lamar's DNA. Tell me something. You motherfuckers can't tell me nothing. I'd rather die than to listen to you. And this already sets the tone that Dave is unapologetic about what he has said previously and what he's going to say now. He's very entrenched in his position. And the following lines are from Jay-Z, a man who's been having some controversy. Oh, just a bit. Just a bit. That shit. Wasn't it wasn't <laughs> interesting how all the Jay-Z stands, y'all just wait. I'll catch us get excited about anything these days. Just wait and see. And we waited. And we saw. And we saw. Yeah, everyone's kind of 
crickets now. Yeah, I, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens next, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah his line, Jay-Z's line, I know real niggas happen to love it. And this comes from the Pump It Up freestyle from 2003. And if you're a real person and not caught up in the bullshit, you'll understand where Davis comes from. That's such a from. weirdly elliptical line to choose, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, who are these real niggas? You know, niggas in rap is a term usually reserved for men, heterosexual, cisgender men. And since that was from an old song, obviously it was from an era that was less inclusive than today. And I find that very telling. I'm totally okay with not being included in that, by the way. I mean, like, wow, dang, okay. (laughs) You know, we get to Chappelle's opening words from Prince's 1999. Could have sworn it was Judgment Day. And the most important bar to him, trying to run from my destruction, you know I didn't even care. And again, it's clear that Dave has drawn a line in the sand about his audience and his critics. He wants to tell his truth no matter the possible consequences And then when we finally see him, he has this prison jumpsuit on. And again, to me, I thought it was calculated. It wasn't just, you know, a nice shirt and jeans this time. You know, like, does he feel shackled? Is he trying to escape the, in my opinion, self-imposed prison he's in? Just the first few minutes give you more to chew on than any special that came before it. And like I said, I don't want to go through all of his jokes. But he spent a majority of his time attacking the queer community and even some of the Me Too movement for his kind of self-perceived problems on the left. And he kind of used some, in my opinion, conservative talking points. And it's been interesting watching his fans positively react to his show using conservative talking points that were once used on us when we experienced racism or misogyny or homophobia etc transphobia from them sometimes these cultural products and cultural events and our reactions to them reveal a lot about ourselves. and it was kind of disheartening to see people i thought were pretty liberal leaning really gravitate to earth this special calling it a masterpiece and genius i mean just really quick you know dave said that because women were going about the Me Too movement wrong, that's why we have the most stringent abortion laws in eight states. What kind of faulty logic is that? Joke logic. <laughs> like he wasn't being serious with that, I don't think. I think he was. Really? Yes. Okay. When you, when you look back at Old, Old Chappelle, you know, I want, I want that grape drink. Sure, mm-hmm. there was a kernel of truth mm-hmm. in the grape drink joke, sure. but mm-hmm. obviously he knows that all black people aren't just drinking grape drink at the house. Yeah. But I think... With this show and kind of on his his comeback mm-hmm. specials, I feel like he is being more more revealing about how he really feels. Okay, and he's just, he's one man. He's a man with influence, and of course, homophobia, misogyny, and transphobia existed before him. Mm-hmm. So I can't like put all my ire on Dave, but he does have influence, and it's important to to call these things out. Mm-hmm. So I talked about. The Me Too thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there was in the epilogue, he talked about how he made a Me Too joke and the woman was upset about it. She was raped. He made sure to point out that it was a white woman mm-hmm. and not a black woman because mm-hmm. he, he tried to equate women's problems, you know, can, are similar to the to the plight of being black or being a black man. Specifically being a black man. He doesn't really talk about black women. That Absolutely much at all. not. Mm-hmm. And that's something to point out. Mm-hmm. If that was a black woman who said, I'm sorry, I was raped. Would he then tell her? Ta-ta, bitch. Would he throw her under the bus for a joke? Well, he 
did the same thing to what's her name? Dream Hampton. Yeah, to Dream Hampton. He threw her under the bus. Continuing with the epilogue, he talks about he wondered why the woman was upset at his jokes, but the trans woman that he pointed out in the audience wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then his revelation is she used to be a man. Remember that that epilogue? Mm -hmm. So now Mm -hmm. we're kind of insinuating that men have a different or better sense of humor in that joke, which I found... uh, I. Was that what he was insinuating? I didn't take did, it quite that way. Yeah, I think it was just that he. Uh, yeah, I think it. W- I think the implication he was making in that was more about how she thinks of her transness, because again, Dave is talking very much to like old heads in a lot of different ways. So a lot of older trans people, especially like the super older or the super old generation, don't necessarily use the same terminology okay. that younger trans people do. So they will say stuff like. I used to be a man, which now is completely politically incorrect and completely insensitive because younger trans people don't talk about it that way. Older trans people, the ones that I've met, again, not being trans and not necessarily being an expert on this, but I've noticed that a lot of my older friends who are in their 50s and 60s mm-hmm. will say it that way. Mm-hmm. So I I guess, I don't know, I think I took it in a different way. I thought he was making a comment on the way that she thought about her transness. Okay. Ter- I mean, like basically saying she was old. But I'll, then he might not be that sophisticated either. I don't know. I mean, he didn't say that she mm-hmm. was old. He just mm-hmm. said, I wonder why the woman was mad at the Me Too jokes, mm-hmm. but the trans woman was okay with the trans jokes. Mm-hmm. And then he said the man part. So, mm-hmm. um, so I want to move on to after the show when Dave met Daphne, the transgender woman, mm-hmm. and the bar. And she said that she read about Dave in the, in the New York Times and mm-hmm. how he normalized R. Kelly because he made jokes about him. And in my opinion, I don't think he normalized him. I, I think he may have started to normalize conversation about him being a monster mm-hmm. or a creep, but that's it. But those jokes were made to hurt R. Kelly and point out his his crimes. Mm-hmm. But for me, how are the jokes that Dave said about transgender women helping them? He His first one was like about he he titty fucked a transgender woman in the parking lot in one of his specials. Right. So are they normalized mm-hmm. now? But even before that, he talked about how he was dancing on a woman and then when, then when the lights went up... Yeah, he, they went and had breakfast together. Or no, whatever. but even no. before that, mm-hmm. he was like, oh no, why didn't you tell me? And that it was kind of like a, some things were good and... I mean, I don't say good. I, I don't even want to say, say good, but it, yeah. started, it started off rough there. Mm-hmm. Oh, why didn't you tell me? And then he goes and says, "Oh, well, we we dance anyway." Mm-hmm. And then we had breakfast. And now, you know, like that, it was such an uneven piece. Yeah. Honestly, because he brings this up so much, like in the last three specials, there's been a joke like this yes. or a piece of conversation like this. It makes me just wonder: is Dave Chapp- is his issue with the trans community that he's trans attracted and doesn't know what to do about it? Because honestly, he always seems to bring up that kind of joke. And he says that transgender pussy feels like real pussy, so they're normalized now. Did he now. say that? When did yes. he say that? In the epilogue. He said that in the epilogue? He said, I him that. And, he said him and Daphne started making out, and then he reached into her, I don't know if he had a dress or pants on his said and felt, and felt her up, and he said it felt like real pussy. And wow. so again, well, are they normalized wow. now? Because obviously okay. we know that <laughs> some transgender women mm-hmm. don't have surgery. Mm-hmm. And doesn't he realize that? a significant amount of violence that happens to transgender women that comes from their sexual partners, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, and of course, I mean, I'm sure Gio will, will get uh, on that later, but he's looking at transgender women mm-hmm. through a se- through a sexual lens, exclusively almost. Right. And, you know, which is, this is something that they have to work by default, or they, they, they have to, 
that's the work that they it's a lot of them do by default because normal jobs will not hire them and their value and their existence extends beyond that so i, I think his his presumption about him normalizing trans women was extremely ignorant and the fact that the crowd clapped about that like yeah you're right they were also ignorant but it's just it's not surprising given the subject matter just frankly people just aren't that mm-hmm. well versed I, i'm not mm-hmm. i'm gonna end on people you know he had questions people were asking why don't you talk about trump more and he says he isn't the hokey pokey it isn't what it's all about he's just doing what uh races white people's greatest hits I actually thought that was funny. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. the fact that he spent most of his shows talking down to marginalized people, mm-hmm. women, children, women, uh, sexual assault victims mm-hmm. in, in the queer community, mm-hmm. are they what it's all about now? Because mm-hmm. that's crazy to me. If he wants to address the millions of people that are supporting Trump, well, then talk about them. Because mm-hmm. he has done it. And he has done it in a, a, a hilarious way. You know, take them down a peg. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want to retread territory, what did Jordan Peele do with Get Out? He addressed white liberalism. I think mm-hmm. that's the main thing out of this was lazy and and just sad. This is, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's classic Dave. He's always been like that. And you're partially right. Prior to him really blowing up from his first special, Killing Him Softly, if you listen to old Dave Chappelle from the early 90s, he had he was actually pretty queer phobic. Uh, I I don't know the actual name of the set I listened to, but he had some pretty conservative or right leaning opinions at the time. But everyone did. So I, again, I can't really you know single him out. Mm-hmm. On Kill Him Softly, he talks about white privilege and how they can be drunk or high and get out of things. He talks about how experiences are different for black and white people. He goes into stories about how police shoot people but drugs are just planted on them sprinkled on them and how silly that is he talks about how we how we love things as kids watching a tv show but then when we watch it again we realize how problematic that is there's a lot going on mm-hmm. even in and for what it's worth he talked about black stereotypes how we love chicken and watermelon and how dumb that is because everyone loves those things he talked about uh one of my favorite lines that made me think as a, a teen about art money and how they're just baseball cards with slave traders on them mm-hmm. Dave used to challenge the status quo. And in his show, he was largely just absurd. There's nothing political about, you know, Rick James or Prince or... You could, but... Yeah. <laughs> but Dave has always been absurd. And he's always tread in absurdity. Mm-hmm. He wasn't always political. So I don't want everyone to think that comedians always need to be political. However, I feel like if you're going to address social political issues especially in 2019 in this era, especially a time where when trans people are facing just unbelievable murder rates and just violence. Mm-hmm. If you take away the violence, the physical violence, you know, um, being denied housing and work, loans, I mean, you, you can name it, just every aspect of their life is, is so painful. And you spend half the show punching down to them. I hope we take heed to Dave's words when he was a better comedian, when he was talking about celebrity worship, uh, you know, he, he he had that whole where is jaw segment for on the for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. You know, transgender women, particularly women of color, are suffering record murder rates. Who gives a fuck what Dave Chappelle thinks at a time like this? You know, this is the same man <laughs> who said, I'm going to give Trump a chance mm-hmm. after his blatant racism and sexism on the campaign trail. I mean, he later, mm-hmm. he later he, said yeah. that he, he regretted he that. He walked back on it. But... You know, this obviously shows that this guy's judgment is not, it's not flawless. Mm-hmm. So 
we should definitely be examining that and not just saying, oh, Davis telling telling the truth just mm-hmm. because it reinforces your own problematic uh, POV. And I'm going to flip Dave's words on him. I don't want to cancel Dave Chappelle. And like he talked to Trump, I want to give him a chance. In every new special, even though, as you said, they were kind of mixed or ropey, uh, they've always shown some brilliance. Mm-hmm. And and it's, they, they always show how much of a thoughtful comedic artist he is. And I sincerely hope that he can surround himself with better people, um, just have some more self-reflection, and just starts aiming that talent at the right people again mm-hmm. and more consistently. And if he can't, I anticipate more progressive comedians to fill that void. We talked about Flame Monroe, and you mentioned some other ones. I mean, maybe we can list some in the comments. But mm-hmm. at the same time, and more importantly, I issue a challenge to the fans and people in general to just be more careful about how we consume and celebrate these cultural products and events just because it comes from someone that we admire doesn't always make it correct. And saying that, you know, people get offended by everything these days, just realize who you sound like now. Did we accept that, those talking points when white folks had, well, should I say about black people or right-leaning men who had negative comments about cisgender women? Is this now just locker room talk for Dave Chappelle, the way that white folks tried to excuse Donald Trump's bullshit? Breitbart put out two articles praising this latest stand-up. Did Dave see that coming? He quit Chappelle's show because he felt, in part, he didn't have the impact he wanted. How do you feel when Breitbart and other conservatives are supporting what you're saying? I just want to read the opening from the debunking the joke police. This is from Breitbart. Mm-hmm. Really? You're going to read Breitbart on Blurred Up Eek? I'm just telling you. I mean, this okay. is, but <laughs> I'm reading this so that people who have been defending Dave Chappelle understand who, all, who is also defending Dave Chappelle. So here it goes. The joke police are looking to strip Dave Chappelle of his speech rights, which once again proves we are coming to a decision point in this country. That's what this whole godforsaken woke crusade boils down to, a choice. And the choice is this. Are we going to allow ourselves to become second-class citizens in our own country? Are we going to allow far-left activists and their allies in the media, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood to bully us into creating a two-tiered class system. And it goes on to say that uh, he was debunking the fact uh, that the criticism of, you know, queer people being punched down on, and he's in, in the article, it's like, bullshit, they have all the power. And so many other crazy things in that article, you don't have to read it, but... Wasn't planning on it. No, <laughs> you don't have to. I'm, I read it for yeah. you all. But I'm just saying that, look around and who are you in bed with now? And I'm just... I'm just challenging people to, I mean, of course, conservatives can like things that we like. I mean, we all like pizza. There's a great Root article that talked about this this very thing. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, we can all like pizza and ice cream. I'm sure Trump mm-hmm. loves ice cream too, but this is, this is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I would just really challenge. Was that the one from Very Smart Brothers? That yes, article? yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes, yes. I would just encourage the listeners who are generally liberal-leaning to do a little introspection themselves and see what, I lost my thought. It's okay. We all lost 10 IQ points from you reading that Breitbart. But, I mean. (laughs) I want to transition from just going through his jokes now. First, I I do want to point out that I really enjoyed his joke about the school shootings. If you're you're teaching the students how to be safe, aren't you also teaching the shooter what everyone is going to be doing? 
And that's brilliant commentary because we're not addressing the real problem. We're creating a ridiculous solution for it. And the irony there is Dave's also criticizing the wrong things in his stand-up and not looking at the greater picture. It feels like Dave has drawn a line in the sand, but not realizing that he's on a wide beach. Mm. Like, you can go other places. But I want to transition now to what I've been reading about recently and, and learning about recently, and that's postmodernism mm-hmm. in regards to comedy. Mm-hmm. Lately, there's been a lot, you know, South Park and Rick and Morty, and even Dave Chappelle are just kind of making fun of things without any solution or any any warmth to it. It's just attacking things just to attack. In South Park, everyone's fucked up, right? In Rick and Morty, everyone's fucked up. Who cares? Nothing matters. Even on with memes, you see all these memes from a few years ago that were so focused on just the irony of being sad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it did help some people out to feel to have that kind of solidarity that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. But recently, I don't know how you've been perceiving social media, but there's been a lot more, there's been a change in at least what people share on my feed. And there is more of a desire to help heal now. There, I don't see as many nihilism. Is it nihilism? Nihilism? How's, how's it uh, it depends on where you're from. Both are okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't see as many, as many nihilistic uh, meme share anymore. Mm-hmm. And with comedy, we're still stuck in this irreverence as far as American comedy goes, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the biggest names in cultural products are still kind of just irreverent, absurdist humor. And they have their place. I love Rick and Morty. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to these queer issues and misogyny and what, what, all, what we're going through, I'm personally looking for something more. And there's a great video I just watched, actually on the way here. It's mm-hmm. called The Philosophy of Bo Burnham. And you can, oh, you gosh. Can, you can find it on... Yeah, okay, I've seen it, yeah. You can mm-hmm. see it on, on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of it was particularly funny to me. I mean, you know, I, I know you said that you don't like... You didn't think Dave's special was that funny either. I thought it had really funny moments. But Same. I think overall, I think a lot of the joke telling... The bigger, well, the biggest issue for me was that a lot of the joke telling was lazy and not funny. A lot of it was retellings of jokes that other people are doing in better ways. Um, full disclosure, I used to do stand up about a million years ago, and uh, I still talk to a lot of people who do stand up, and the discussion has been a bit different among people I know who are in the entertainment industry and people who are looking at this from a more political perspective, which I'm not going to get too into, but I think overall the biggest, one of the biggest standouts about Dave special for people who really know comedy is that he's taking jokes that other people have done and made funny and just doing them meanly. Right. We, we both watched that Tiffany Haddish presents they ready Mm -hmm. and flame Monroe is a transgender comedian Mm -hmm. and, if you if you if you do have Netflix, check mm-hmm. out her special because I found it really funny. Yeah, and what's interesting is that Flame has been doing those jokes. Some of those jokes I have seen Flame do decades ago. Like she's mm-hmm. been a comedian for a long time, and yeah, so a lot. So this isn't anything new. She's joking about the same topics, but coming from a place of love and a place of understanding that Dave's not coming from. And I think the reason I don't go as hard on it politically as you do necessarily is because for me, these things are always relational for me. It's very clear that as many times as Dave says 
well, I have lots of gay friends or I have lots of friends who are this way or my wife is Asian and she hates that joke. So it's okay that I tell it. It's very clear that his relationships aren't informing his comedy or his politics. Whereas, which is... But he's still revealing his politics on the show. Which is not different than what I said. I mean, it's you're right. He's revealing his politics on the show. Right. But his relationships aren't informing his politics. Right, exactly. Which is a problem for me. Yes. Because these things for me are always very relational. If you... I've got a black friend. I can say it. Exactly, yeah. So, for... Yeah, so it does, doesn't work for me in that, in that sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just to close up... One of my favorite shows of all time at this point is BoJack Horseman, Mm -hmm. which has some really funny moments, but it also really tries to tackle real issues. Mm -hmm. And right now the world's on fire, literally. Rainforests, hurricanes, concentration camps. We've talked about this a few times now Mm -hmm. in the show. Same with with hip-hop now. It's like, how sustainable is this trajectory? And I'm really trying to look past this cynical, irreverent, postmodernism take on comedy. And I'm looking for something more. Of course, at the core of comedy, of, of stand-up comedy, the point is to be funny, of course. Not every comedian needs to be political. I don't want anyone to confuse that with me. But I feel if you are speaking on political issues, if you are speaking on social economic issues, that will affect marginalized communities you need to do better and he's been called out on it a bit unfortunately he kind of uses that criticism to do more stand-up and Mm -hmm. as you said before a lot of the transgender if not all the transgender comedians are kind of ignoring him yeah Mm -hmm. which is great i've been looking there's a few transgender comedians that i follow flame is one Mm -hmm. uh there's a transgender guy who's name has just escaped me uh ian something but there's there's quite a few transgender comedian eddie is or uh is another one but that's a different person than the one i was thinking of before sure but there's quite a few transgender comedians working a lot right now in comedy and none of them have said anything they're not bothered about dave i think also dave is at this point kind of a relic and i think that a lot of the debate is missing that dave is playing to an audience that hasn't necessarily progressed politically but that happens every generation there's always going to be kind of a person who's playing to what used to be who doesn't really update, you know, kind of like there's some people who Even never rap, listen right? to. Yeah, exactly. They never listen to anything new. They're still listening to old Jay-Z songs, you know, uh, it's that there's that kind of person in the world. So or even like, yeah. you know, the old legends will come back. You know, there's a new Cool G rap album. But is he talking about him just being a grown man and having a family or. No, he's still rapping about whatever he was. Back you know, in the day. being a gangster and folks are like, oh, yeah, that new Cool G rap. It's, it's amazing. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like, have you done anything new in the past 20 years? Right. My dude? And it's a little bit like that with Dave. He's kind of becoming Steve Harvey for millennials. Ooh. Uh, honestly, Ooh. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's kind of, you know, he's a little nice. bit he's a little bit backwards, but that doesn't necessarily take away from his previous brilliance, I don't think. And his potential brilliance. Yeah, sure. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. still displayed that in the special. Mm-hmm. There's two things. I don't know if I've got time to say this. Okay. There's, there's the one thing, there's two things that are, that this is making me think of. One is a Harry Potter quote, actually. Okay. Which is interesting because I think there is a hidden silver lining to a lot of the polarization and this extreme debate that you're getting. There's a quote in one of the Harry Potter books that always really stood out to me. I think it is in the Order of the Phoenix. Don't quote me on that, though. Some Potterhead is going to know exactly where this is from. Uh, Where someone is talking to Harry and Harry is going off about how 
he doesn't like this person, so they must be a Death Eater. And whoever, one of the adults that he's speaking to just kind of says to him, the world is not split into good people and Death Eaters, right? You know, morally, it is possible to walk and chew gum at the same time. You can have conservative and liberal stances in the same body. And you're, and I think a lot of people, because we're so into social media politics and talking point politics, we find it in hard. In our bubbles. To, yeah, we're in our bubbles. And we find it hard to realize that sometimes we have multiple stances even within our own bubbles. And I Absolutely. think that's being exposed a lot now. Yes. The world is not expo- is not split into good people and death eaters. And some people are finding out that there's a little bit of death eater in them. And that's that's just being an adult. <laughs> right? And true. sorting out your personal politics and not just your public political stance. The other thing that this makes me think is, ooh, Eddie Murphy has a job ahead of him next year. Ooh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. If he's smart, he's taking notes right now somewhere. Like, okay, I can't do the same thing I did when I did Raw. Right. <laughs> you know? So we'll see what happens. You know, uh, do you know who Jim Jeffries is? Yeah. Australian comedian. Yeah. He has, I saw an interview with him that was really interesting about Eddie Murphy. It was before Eddie Murphy announced his return to mm-hmm. stand up. But Jim Jeffries is arguably one of the most blatantly offensive comedians out there. And it's because he doesn't necessarily take any kind of political high road or on anything. He's just saying what he thinks, which is, you know, you kind of got to take, he, basically Jim Jeffries' stance is you're going to take what jokes come out this mouth. Right. So, he, so he's he's arguably quite offensive. A lot of people really hate him. He got famous for a bit he did about uh, guns. Uh, yeah, guns in America. Yeah, guns in America. Right. But his general stand-up mode is not that. Interesting. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. that's all I know about him. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people that he actually does a bit in his most recent special about how everybody found out about him from that, and then they watched his full specials and were horrified. Wow. Right, because he's that he's he's all over the place politically, wow, and that's okay. just kind of what he does. Um, but. I think as a comedian, he's very self-aware because he did a really interesting interview about how Eddie Murphy was his idol when mm-hmm. he was coming up. He wanted to he Eddie Murphy was who he was his favorite comedian, but he didn't want to be like Eddie Murphy because he knows that if he tried to get up and do the same kind of jokes Eddie Murphy was doing, he'd be out of date. And the one thing Jim Jeffries is never, not yet anyway, is out of date. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I really do think Eddie's got an interesting task ahead of him if he's going to make this work. That was fantastic. Before we close out, I want to make one more point about just kind of the history of comedy. Mm. Um, And again, this is in this video, and he pointed it out. A lot of people have been talking to me about, well, if you don't like Dave Chappelle, this this is my conservative voice for even folks who are are liberal-leaning. If you don't like Dave Chappelle, then (laughs) how would you feel about George Carlin? But early George Carlin was definitely offensive, when I prepared for this show, I actually watched his first appearance on the Merv Griffin show in 65. And a lot of it dealt with him impersonating Native Americans. And, mm-hmm. of course, bringing that kind of stuff out in 2019 would have gotten a very, very uh, harsh response. Mm-hmm. But then I watched Jammin' in New York, which came out in 1992, decades later. And out the gate, he's criticizing the U.S. war machine and our tendency for bombing countries full of brown people and sending our children to die. Mm-hmm. He also criticizes the the rich elite who use our differences to divide us while they keep all the money. I mean, it was brilliant. So there is room for evolution. Mm-hmm. And I know people want to cancel Dave Dave Chappelle. I'm not that I don't like canceling people that that quick. Brianna Joy Gray, she's the press secretary for Bernie Sanders. Mm. And before that, she did a, she had a podcast called Something's Wrong on the Internet, Swody. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> look it up on on SoundCloud. She had a great show on cancel culture. Right. And she wrote a great article too about how that hurts left politics. And I think that we do need to have more dialogue with each other and not mm-hmm. just shout at each other. Because even when I put mm-hmm. my posts out on social media about Dave Chappelle, there were there were some harsh backlashes about you don't you don't need to do all that. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to George Carlin mm-hmm. because what I think a lot of comedians lack these days is the urgency. When George Carlin criticized society, politics, the economy, there was mm-hmm. a real sense of urgency that he was trying to communicate to people. Right now, we're in such an era of cynicism mm-hmm. and irreverence and absurdity that the comedy greats who are, from what we can see now, are leaning libertarian. You know, the South Park creators are libertarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rick and Morty uh, creators, are, I, I believe, are lean libertarian as well. Probably, yeah. They have a very much like, you know, fuck it, who cares? You know, just do you kind of mentality, but we can't afford to do that, right. I think. And so I hope in a post-post-modernism we can kind of get back to that sense of urgency or just, you know, laughter with self-care. Again, I, I reference Bojack Horseman. Mm, well, I want to point out that George Carlin was still offensive in 1992. It's just who was he offensive to, that the target changed. Yes. And I think, yeah, that that's an important point. Yeah. Dave's target's changed. Yeah. After exactly. he came back. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just, you know, a lot of comedians stay offensive. It's just that who are they offensive to? I mentioned Jim Jeffries. Mm-hmm. He's very offensive. It's just that within one special, the person the, the who he's offensive to, the target changes 16 times in one Jim Jeffries special. He's not on anybody's side but his own. And he makes that very clear. I'm just kind of yeah. kind of over that a yeah. little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, and I think I that there's still a place for I think that what is missing from a lot of the dialogues that I've seen And I think that this is why I said this on the hip hop show. We're not ready for change. Mm. And it shows in our art. Yes. Because change requires positive, sensitive change. I'm reading this interesting book right now about emergent theory and social justice. And positive, sensitive change requires nuance. And we do not have that right now. And you can see it in these very shrill responses to comedy. uh, These very kind of talking point based responses to comedy or defenses of comedy. Both of them, I think, have uh, have (laughs) uh, room to grow. Um, Did did you see the mm -hmm. post about, you know, I just deleted, you know, how many number of people from my Facebook over this this Dave Chappelle thing? Like I've I've had posts about that. I've never said I think we know really different kinds of people. (laughs) So I don't know. I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't I didn't I definitely didn't see anything like that. I have seen a lot of debate about it. and I've seen a lot of unexpected defenses and I've seen a lot of unexpected uh, attacks, mm-hmm. which, you know, peop- the people who I expected to really be into it are not. And the people who I expected to really be not about it are actually kind of into it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's interesting, too. But I think that the, the thing that's missing from all of the discussions is a sense of nuance and a sense of desire to understand in, as opposed to a desire to say, OK, this is offensive according to XYZ. Again, it just points to the, for me, there's a huge disconnect right now between the development of people's personal politics and the development of their public politics. And this is a social media thing in a lot of situations. Mm. People, I think a lot of, and I think a lot of people who are kind of beginning to develop a political consciousness quickly learn that if they post the right stuff, they get likes. And that, I think, has, has contributed negatively to the development of personal political consciousness. 
Now, I'm not going to preach about that now. I don't know, though. But, I mean, I think, I yeah. think you're partially mm-hmm. true, but I, mm-hmm. I still think there are people mm-hmm. who are still conservative and, oh, yeah. you know, will post that stuff, too. Even oh, e- even if they're more mm-hmm. liberal than far right, yeah. there's a spectrum. Well, I think this goes for liberals and conservatives, Absolutely. personally. I don't Absolutely. think this is a partisan issue. I think this is just a social issue as far as the way that we develop our personal politics. You don't necessarily go out and find like-minded people and do stuff. You post about it on on social media and you you kind of... It's very easy to put yourself in an echo chamber and a bubble where you never really have to defend and refine your political consciousness. Which, I mean, I'm not going to preach about that now, but I think that this is, I think that that's very evident in a lot of the discussions of Dave Chappelle, because I think that people are speaking of it as, people are talking about Dave Chappelle on social media more than they're talking about the astonishing amount of murders of young trans women of color this year. People are talking more about Dave Chappelle than they're talking about the Amazon or about the uh, burning of half of, uh, what is it, Cameroon, I think now has got an issue with fires as well. People are talking more about Dave Chappelle than they're talking about Trump and how much it, how evident it is that he does not know how to do his job. So excuse me if I can't get too fussed about the points regarding Dave Chappelle, except for on a comedy level, because my God, the world's on fire. Exactly. <laughs> right? so, but yeah. counterpoint, yeah. if mm-hmm. someone does draw that much mm-hmm. influence and attention, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that next time and for any other cultural products, you know, I hope they can just do better. And I, you know, on, on your point, it's interesting that people are, you know, leaning towards these progressive policies, you mm-hmm. know, but as we talked about in the hip hop show, they're mm-hmm. still supporting kind of status quo, if not conservative talking points within that, that culture, those right. products. And even with Dave Chappelle or your Rick and Morty's mm-hmm. or et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, you got, I love Bernie bro. And, Warren, sure, whatever, great. And then mm-hmm. you have these people like this kind of irreverent absurdity over here. Mm-hmm. It's our culture, as you said, our culture hasn't quite caught up with, it's kind of a chicken egg thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So I'm, you know, again, for me personally, I'm looking for something more. I always am. Sure. And I hope that we can all do that together. And I agree. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. Just be nice in the comments if you guys are going to start, start debating this stuff with us. Don't be nice. I want to fight. No, I'm sorry. Don't no. do that. I don't want to fight. I'm, I'm, I'm totally like, I, I told you I'm a chicken. I saw it at 8.45 in the morning. Don't fight me, y'all. I can't take it. I'll cry. I'm in my 30s. I'm not trying to internet debate anymore. My thoughts are here. <laughs> yeah. You can post them and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably not going to care. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Thank you all very much. This concludes this episode of Blurred Up. Once again, we are on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D. UP. We are on Instagram at B L E R D period U P. We are also on Instagram at B L E R D U. We are also on blur.com. Please check those guys out. They're really cool. If you're a creator and you do want to be featured there, writer, they really they love some writers, especially if you're a woman, queer, mm-hmm. they would we, we would love to have you. So hit me up or hit up the guys at blur.com. I'm actually you can actually email me Ooh. at B U at blurred.com B oh blurred up huh okay I'm just like what part of your name is a you oh geez I'm tired Yo, sorry I actually woke up at 5 a.m. today and I went to the gym for the like just trying out this like a morning routine okay and yeah I'm I'm, I'm, I'm getting there too but yeah I was really excited to do this with you thank you very much Mel for being no worries, here thank you and yeah uh, let us know how you, f- you all feel about it mm-hmm. and Dave Chappelle's stand up in the comments mm-hmm. please leave a review if you would be so inclined 
Great. All right, y'all. All right, peace. Free Mike Hamlin. <laughs>